Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's show, we go back to talking to teachers. We're joined by PJ Cabrera. PJ is a teacher and the advisor of student media at Judson High School in Converse, Texas, not far from San Antonio. PJ is also the program coordinator heading up a committee for Scholastic Journalism Week from the Journalism Education Association. Scholastic Journalism Week is coming up later this month. We'll get to that in a moment. PJ, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this all week. It's just, it's nice to talk about something that I nerd about with other people that nerd about the same exact thing. Uh, <laughs> so this, is, this, is, this was my, the highlight of my week. All right, awesome. So let's start by giving us a more thorough introduction of who you are. I gave the 15 to 20 second version. Uh, tell us about who you are, where you're from, and give us some more background on your 10 years as a teacher. So I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I, I love San Antonio. It is very much uh, where you come to settle. I'm a proud graduate of Holmes High School, which is a high school on the west side of town. After I graduated from there, I did two years at community college, and then I transferred up to Texas State University, which is located in San Marcos, Texas. I graduated with my Bachelor's of Arts in Communication Studies. After you graduate from high, after you graduate from college, you just want to go wherever you can find a job. So my first job was actually teaching middle school in Houston. So I moved to Houston for two years and I got my uh, master. I started, started my master's in Houston. And then uh, when I knew that my end goal was to be a journalism teacher, I eventually found the job at Judson and I moved back to the San Antonio area and finished my master's. And I've been at Judson now for eight years and I've been teaching for 10 years. Um, and eight, eight of those years have been running the journalism program at Judson High School. Uh, I took over a program that had very little support, uh, very little resources, and turned it into uh, a juggernaut. And um, uh, I'm so proud of what my students have been able to do and so proud of what I've been able to do. And, and it, it, it's amazing that I'm able to go to a school in which I am happy with what my students are doing because they're doing amazing journalism. Um, but it, 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 is a, it is an amazing thing, especially right now, to be able to go to a job uh, in which you are happy with what you're doing, because I know a lot of people are struggling and a lot of people are, are suffering with, with, with what's happened with COVID. So I'm incredibly grateful. As messy as, as, messy as education is, I'm grateful to have a job. So let's, let's complete a, a piece of the puzzle here. What made you want to become a journalist or journalism educator? It sounds, it sounds very cliche, because I think a lot of teachers are influenced by other teachers. And I was incredibly influenced by my journalism teacher in, in high school. She uh, saw something in me that I didn't think that I knew. I always loved writing uh, and I always uh, was able to journal when I was at home. Being those abilities to be a journalist in high school, I think I saw something in me uh, and she saw something in me that I didn't think I had, this, this extrovert, go go getter type of personality and using my writing abilities and uh to become a, a a leader on campus through journalism and i knew that that that's what i wanted to do i knew i was happy with that uh when i went to college uh i i, I started to be a, a, a architecture major and one of my professors my freshman year 
of, of college was like, I feel like ran me out the door because it just, it, it became something that I was no longer happy to do. So I, I re, re-majored and majored in communications with the end goal to be a journalism teacher because at the end of the day, that's what made me happy and that's what continues to make me happy. Um, so I kind of, I, I always mention my journalism teacher in high school because uh, without having her support and without showing me what journalism was about, I wouldn't be in the position I am today. What was her name? Miss Martha Singleton. And saying her first name is odd because <laughs> I, am that pers- I am that person that no matter how old she yep. is and no matter how old I am, she will still be Miss Singleton to me. All right. Uh, so architecture's loss, journalism's gain. Interesting. Now, you're the second uh, journalism high school teacher that I've had on. Alana Vandersloos from New Jersey was the other. Uh, both of you uh, are doing this, the education route. You didn't uh, necessarily become a journalist first and then become a teacher. Um, was there a feeling that, that that was something you could do? Or is is there, a, I, I know that you write for the school paper now, but is is there an aspect there that you, you think, okay, it's, it's all right to just be teaching, uh, not necessarily having done the profession? I think a lot of it had to do with, I wanted to, I wanted to work with kids. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, 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 to change a kid's life the way that my teacher changed mine. And she did that through journalism. I love studying journalism. I love watching journalism. I love writing. I love doing, I love being a journalist, but being a teacher uh, to me seems so much more rewarding. And I think that journalists do have a rewarding career and, and there's nothing I'm downplaying, but there's something about being a teacher. It is a calling. It is something that is special. And it's and I knew that that's where I wanted to be and in front of the classroom. So you're now teaching at Judson High School. Uh, if I understand right, size of the school is about 2,500 to 3,000, somewhere in that range? Yes, yeah, it is one of the biggest schools in the area, yes. The student newspaper you oversee the work on that. It's called The Fuel. And I understand that it kind of came to be under your leadership. Uh, how did it come to be? And what's in a name? That's an interesting name for a student paper. So we are the Rockets. Are the- uh, yeah, we are the Judson Rockets. And the name comes from, we are located very close to a military base. Uh, so it has a lot to do with the area um, and a lot to do with um, w- with who we are. So when I took over the program, the, the old newspaper was called The Satellite. And one, that did not ring to me. It didn't, it didn't sound exciting to me. <laughs> um, and at the same time, the, the Satellite hadn't been published in a while. Uh, the, the, the advisor before me kind of let it die, let, let, let the newspaper die. And one of my goals going into the position was to create a newspaper. And after five years of not being published, and frankly, me just not liking the name, I wanted to start something new, start something fresh, start something under my era as the advisor there. So we started the fuel and that has everything to do with its relation to the rocket. So our yearbook is called the rocket, our mascot is the rocket, and the newspaper is the fuel. And a lot of it has to just, it just all coincides with each other want to share uh, some of the things that I've seen in the paper from looking at it online and, and have you talk about some of those. August 9th, you wrote a column called I'm a Teacher, 
uh, basically, and ask for help from the community. Sadly, it seems we aren't remembering the power of the teacher. The disrespect toward the profession is seemingly widespread and it's heartbreaking to read, but even worse to read responses from colleagues who are numb from continuously being punched by a society and its people who will never fully acknowledge our worth. With that, I ask, what prompted you to write that and what has the pandemic teaching experience been like? So we, last year was such a jarring year. Last school year was such a jarring year. We went into spring break and we didn't come back. And we started this school year with so much weight on our shoulders. So many teachers didn't know how it was going to go. I've had, I've had to, uh, to, to counsel teachers who were crying and, it was, it seemed like nobody was listening to us. No one was listening to teachers. And that led me to write that column. Every once in a while, this is the analogy that I use. I love when a coach tells a student to run a mile or run two miles when the coach cannot run with them either. So I, every once in a while, I will shoot with my kids. I'll grab a camera and I'll go out there and shoot pictures and, and show them how it's done. And every once in a while, I do like to write columns and I do like to do interviews and I do like to write because I want my kids to understand that I still have those chops as well. So I wrote this article because I wanted to get out to our community that teachers need to be supported during this time. Right now, we are incredibly stressed out. Politics are getting in the way of our jobs. Our health are getting in the way of our jobs. Everything is, is being pushed on top of us, on top of all the other stuff that we normally do. And so many teachers are tired. And I wanted to let, let everyone know that we're gonna need their support going into this school year. And this school year has been nothing like we've ever seen before. And, and I think it's important for our community and everyone in the country to realize that we are uh, we are the backbone of this community, and I want I wanted to remind our community of that. All right, I'm curious what the the response of of your students has been to that. I, I, my specific students, my I love my students. I, I, the one of the things that helps me be a teacher is at the beginning of the year you have to develop those relationships with those kids. A classroom management is easily, easily, easily handled when you have relationships with them. And a lot of my kids I've had for two, three, some for four years. So it makes it easy to have relationships with them. I don't have to worry about my influence with my students because I know that it's there. I, I worry about those teachers who have students for a semester or for one year and sometimes don't see their own impact on those kids. And then we, you go from one year to a next year and the next, as next semester to a next semester. And sometimes I think um, when, you, when, you, when you leave high school, you, sometimes you forget about the influence of that one teacher that they had on you. Uh, and it's, it's, it's sad that we see a lot of teachers protesting because they're scared to go to school, to go to work. And or saying that they're just not being listened to, and and um, I I'm I'm happy that I'm able to have relationships with my students that I know that that that's not an issue in my classroom. Our our relationship is solid. All right, I want to touch on two of your students here. I'm reading a piece by one of your editors in chief, 
of the fuel. What happened to civil discourse by Stephen Stein? It's appropriate that we do this on a day in which a member of Congress uh, is being, there, there's a vote going on to determine whether she should be removed from her committees. Talking about the comments section for an article about a group of dancers who kneel during the national anthem at school football games on the eve of the election a month later, he wrote, strangely enough, the bulk of these degrading and equally unproductive comments were made by adults within the community instead of students. A month later, Brooklyn Ellis, your other uh, editor-in-chief, wrote an article, New Politics, Same Old Politicians. What we so desperately need, especially in this day and age when we are struggling to keep afloat, is strong individuals who have the motivation and willpower to actually break the mold. Why reinvent the wheel when you can just repave the road? And maybe, just maybe, as the ruling generation slowly makes their departure, a new generation will rise who will do just that. After reading those two, I came away very impressed with the maturity of the writing and their viewpoints. So I'm curious how those pieces come together. The, so every, my students have a three week deadline cycle. And at the beginning of those three weeks, we sit down with each other and Steven and Brooklyn head the pitch meeting. They decide uh, who's gonna write what, uh, who sh what should be covered. And they have those conversations about what's a good idea and what's a bad idea. Those two articles came from a situation that happened on our campus in which uh, our football players and our dancers at a football game have decided to, to, to kneel. Well, just like normal, our, our, our students covered that as a news event and posted the article on the Fuel's social media platforms. Uh, the reaction was swift and quick and the comments became unproductive to just plain nasty and you have students who are trying to figure out why are you adults not being able to talk to each other a lot of it has to do with keyboard courage because when you're behind a computer screen you um, have the courage to say whatever you want to say to whoever you want to say it most of these comments would not be done in a round table um, and it, it, it's unfortunate that we have to look, uh, adults, educated adults have to look at kids to tell them to, can y'all just talk to each other, please? <laughs> and th those were the, those were the, what those two articles were at. It, when, when, what happened to civil discourse is, why are we not talking to each other? Why are we just yelling at each other? Why are we just uh, spitting ugly, ugly comments to each other. It's unfortunate that we've gotten to that point. And when Brooklyn was talking about uh, new politics, same old politicians, you look at politics these days and it's back to just ugliness. It's why are we not talking to each other? Why are we not supporting each other? Why are we not working for people? And both of them wrote in, uh, amazing articles that I'm proud of. and. Uh, every once in a while, kids should look at adults for some guidance because they are really doing and really uh, guiding us in what we should, we ought to be doing. Are there any other stories that have been written recently uh, that you're particularly proud of? So it's funny that you say that. Uh, last week, an article about uh, the school starting a Black uh, Students Matter committee in order to find resources to support our black students. Um, again, it, the comments were 
not about the article. I did not receive any email from anybody. However, when we read the comment section, it's people rather than talk about the article, they started attacking each other. Um, and because Texas is a prior review state, uh, administration asked us to take down the article and we took down the article. Uh, but it's led to some, I, I, think, it led, I think it led to, to putting a mirror in front of our community because many of the comments that were said were incredibly vulgar and uh, the conversation was not about trying to find resources for our black students. It led to why is everyone so hateful to each other? Um, it, it made me happy that we tackled this because my kids are doing amazing journalism. They are asking the right questions. They are writing great articles. They are taking great pictures. They're doing great work. Every once in a while, that great work is going to upset an adult. And because of the laws, sometimes the adults will always win, even though the kids are actually right. And in this situation, I think the kids article was right. And I think our coverage of, especially as tense as the school year has been, our coverage of it has been on point. I, I, I want to co commend my principal though, because when I first took over the program, uh, we've, we had many conversations about what he thought about prior review. And he was very much, everything had to go through him. And as, as the years have gone by, um, he has slowly pulled away from, from doing prior review because he knows that our kids are just doing great journalism. And my job is to teach them how to do great journalism. At the same time, an administrator has to protect the school and the school's image. And I completely understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. I, I, I agree with this idea that in order for us to have open and honest communication, we have to be transparent and we have to allow our students to tell students stories. And if we're not allowed to do that, uh, then what are we doing as educators? So I, I, can, I can understand the administrator's perspective in making sure that he protects his school, but I'm going to push as much as possible to get our, our, our district and our school to not quote unquote censor our students because they're doing great work. They're talking about things that students are already talking about. We're just putting it in a form that may be more inform informative to our community. We'll have more from PJ Cabrera in a moment, but first, a word from a podcast done by journalism educators. Welcome to Journalism History, a podcast that rips out the pages of your history books to re-examine the stories you thought you knew and the ones you were never told. I'm Terry Finneman, and I research media coverage of women in politics. And I'm Nick Hershaw, and I research the history of New York sports. And I'm Ken Ward, and I research the journalism history of the Great Plains and Rocky Mountains. Find the Journalism History Podcast at journalism-history.org slash podcast, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So with the journalism program, what did you teach this week? So this week, uh, our students are, are, my yearbook students are currently finishing their last deadline because the yearbook has to be done before spring break. So they have a March 4th deadline in order to make sure the entire yearbook is done. Our, my newspaper staff is finishing their, their 
three-week deadline tomorrow, and all of them have hit their deadline except one article, which is great. So my newspaper staff is actually not my worry. My yearbook staff is my worry because of the lack of stuff that's happening this year, but both have been working incredibly well here. And then I do have an introduction to introduction to journalism class. And in that class, we're actually going to go through the math to the mass medium. So we're talking about the effects of books and newspapers and magazines and film and radio and television and social media that it has that it has on our everyday lives. Uh, today we talked about television, and I talked about uh, I Love Lucy. And a lot of them didn't know of I Love Lucy. And a lot of them didn't know that the guy was Cuban and the girl was white. And that was one of the first interracial couples that you saw on television. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we also brought up the VCR. And that's actually a big deal because that was a way to record uh, record television. And we're going to get to a point in teaching in which the VCR is going to be considered an antique Yep. So when I, when I asked them what, if I asked them, have you seen a VCR? Who has a VCR? A lot of them said their grandparents had VCRs. They don't, but their grandparents do. At some point, we're going to get a generation in which their grandparents don't have VCRs because VCRs are not considered an antique. So I want to sit with what you mentioned about I Love Lucy. I want to segue into something that I know is important to you. Being in the JEA, you have access to journalism teachers all over the country, and you've told me that you've seen that there are very few educators of color, like yourself, uh, the son of uh, Dominican immigrants. Um, I wanted to give you a chance to just speak to your observations in that area, and how does something like that change? I wish there were more teachers like me when I was growing up. One of the reasons that I love being at Judson is I am able to be a Latino teacher in journalism, which the vast majority of the leaders in journalism are not of color uh, in, in front of the classroom. And that's the power that that does to a kid who wants to see a teacher that looks like them is enormous. And one of the reasons that I've been trying my best to not only network with people, but get involved with all these organizations is I think that in order for the conversation, whatever the conversation is, in order for the conversation to change, I think there needs to be people involved from different backgrounds to change it. And, and a lot of the advisors are, are normally middle-aged white women. And when I go to conferences, it's usually all the same people. And I love the fact that I am a journalism advisor. I love the fact of my Latino heritage. I speak about it often and I let people know that, that it's a rarity to see that. And it, not only is it a rarity to see that, but they can do it too. It's just a matter of them, uh, them being able to, 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 to do great work. One of the biggest things that I'm, 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 I, I advocate for is, is to make sure that we have not only students of color in journalism, but also advisors of color and just teachers of color, because the more, the more our kids see people like us, I think that's, that, that's going to be a bigger change in the long run. What can someone like me, 46-year-old white male living in, in Pennsylvania, do to help the cause in that regard? This, what you're doing right now, is absolutely instrumental. You're, you're, you're seeing a leader 
who is not like all the other leaders in the industry and giving them a voice and allowing them to tell their story and not censoring their story or not. So you're seeing that you're seeing a teacher in the, in an, in an industry in which is overly white and you're giving this teacher a voice. And that probably is the most important thing, allowing, allowing a teacher to tell their story, especially a journalism teacher to tell their story is incredibly important. And I think that um, more of us need to be able to tell our stories freely in order to understand where we're coming from. This takes us to Scholastic Journalism Week, which we mentioned uh, the JEA doing. Uh, their purpose is to celebrate journalism programs across the country. Uh, you are the head of the committee that is handling this. Uh, I will read each day in the week, we'll have a theme. It starts Sunday, February 21st. Diversity matters. Monday, why do we do what we do? Tuesday, local journalism matters. Wednesday, issues that matter. Thursday, beyond scholastic journalism. And Friday, what they did mattered. And then one more Saturday, leadership matters. Tell, all right, so tell us more about what goes into this. So at the beginning of the school year, a group of seven of us from all over the country and one committee member is actually in London, we met to kind of try to figure out what this theme was gonna be, what this week was gonna be about and what the theme was gonna be. And we focused on what we do matters because I think a lot of student journalists need to understand that the work that they're doing in their in their newsrooms is important. It's not just for a grade. A lot of a lot of a lot of newsrooms are hyper local newsrooms that they're the news source for their school or for their community. And we wanted to ensure that what they're doing is important, especially when we started off on Sunday. We wanted to to focus on diversity, and we wanted to focus on diverse schools. So if you go to the SJW's Twitter account. So Scholastic J Week on Twitter, you can see a lot of the schools that we were featuring. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we focus on diverse schools, small schools, schools that are may not necessarily get the most amount of attention. So we wanted to kind of put a spotlight on our kids to remind them, especially during a pandemic, that the work they're doing is incredibly important. What has your experience been with the, uh, the JEA as an organization? I love that we are, that our goal is outreach. Our goal is networking. There are usually one journalism advisor per program. So what JEA has allowed me to do and is allow, and hopefully allows all other advisors to do is to find those other advisors and to create a network in which we're able to support each other. And I think that uh, what we've been able to do, what I've been able to do with JEA in the last year has been instrumental to my overall development. So what, what can journalists do during that week? Journalists that aren't necessarily a part of JEA or that aren't students for that matter. Is there anything that, that they can do to be involved? So there's two great, well, there's two great things that you can do. One, support your local schools and support your local schools journalism programs. Because depending on which state that you're in, for example, Texas, we are, a, a, a principal has the ability to censor. And the fundamental, one of the fundamental pillars of a journalist is to tell the story. And some of these students have the ability to tell amazing stories, but we simply cannot do it. And that's really difficult to do. That Friday is Student Press Freedom Day. And the SPLC is putting on events to 
to celebrate student press and uh, educate other people on why student press is important. Participating in that and networking with the SPLC as a journalist, it would be incredibly important because these high school students will eventually become professional journalists and teaching them and guiding them and mentoring them is incredibly important. All right, so we will certainly do our best to raise the awareness of that. Uh, so we always do an advice question as we wrap up our interviews uh, with uh, journalists and journalism teachers. I read a Q&A with you in which you said that fun was the most important component to a successful program. What do you do to integrate fun into the curriculum? And with that, what advice would you give to people about integrating fun into their uh, journalistic? I cannot be in a classroom which I cannot laugh. Laughter is the, the medicine of all, all sadness and being able to be in a classroom in which you students are free to not only be themselves, but I'm also free to be myself. That speaks wonders in being able to not only manage your classroom, but to teach your students. Every Friday we have current event Friday and, and it's literally a day where their goal is to have a certain amount of current events within the grading period. That's the teacher side of me, but we sit down and we have full fledged in depth conversations about things that are going on in the news. Some conversations can last five minutes, 10 minutes. Some conversations can last the entire period because it's a classroom in which students are able to talk they're able to talk freely and they're able to have constructive conversations without anybody getting super upset. Now, does that mean that there are not arguments that happen? Arguments happen all the time. As long as nobody gets out of their seat, that's all I really, that's all I, I, all I hope for. <laughs> um, but these conversations are super important because these kids are having these conversations outside of the classroom. Having them inside the classroom not only allows for a constructive conversation, but a structured conversation, because you have the teacher there to kind of guide that conversation. That's probably the most fun day of the week. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we can't do it the way that I would normally do it. But just simply talking to our students, knowing what's going on in their lives, knowing what's important to them, laughing with them, joking with them, talking about pop culture with them. That does wonders in developing a relationship with our students. And that's something that I think is one of my strengths. And that's one advice that I would give to any teacher is to fight your battles, but to have fun in the classroom. Because if you're not having fun anymore inside your classroom, that may be a signal that you might have to find something else to do. You're also the second interviewee that I've had in the last four episodes that is very into biking. Have you integrated biking into your journalistic teaching at all? No, but there is a <laughs> no, there is a reason for that. Okay. Um, we teachers give so much of themselves, so much of themselves that I think it's important that we do something for us. So every, every, usually if it's a great day, San Antonio has an amazing network of biking trails. So uh, if it's a good day, usually on a Saturday or Sunday, I will go out and I will do a good 20 miles or 30 miles on my bike and I will put earphones in and I am not thinking about work. My kids know that I bike, uh, my colleagues know that I bike, my, my friends know that I bike, but it's the one time where I'm at peace and I'm not worried about work. And I think that it's important for teachers 
to find that, especially with uh, as much as we're giving. Journalists too. Yes, very much so. I think, I think in all, especially right now, especially where all of us are so overwhelmed uh, with everything that's happening with coronavirus, with politics, uh, some of us, if we have kids, I think it's important to stop. Stop for just a little bit. Stop doing what you're doing and just not only do something for yourself, but, but take a breath and do something that is that recharges your mental health. And, 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 and if we can, if we took more attention to our mental health, like we do our physical health, I think we would, we would, we would do better as a whole. And that's what biking does for me. Biking, you know, that bike, biking allows you to be one with nature. So it allows you to slow down for just a little bit. And I'm not literally, but figuratively, I'm not literally slowing down because I'm going, uh, 12, 15 miles per hour, but it allows you to just stop for just a second and and realize the stuff that's around you and and to, to take a break for a second. All right, last question. Is there a journalism organization outside of the ones that you're directly involved in that you would like to salute? Outside of the ones that I'm directly involved in, um, I'm going to selfishly pick one that I am involved in, but <laughs> there's a reason for it. And it is TAJE. It's the Texas Association of Journalism Educators. The reason I say this is there are two people in this organization that without them, I would not, I would not feel like I have a place in the community. And that's Cindy Todd and Margie Raper. Without them, um, they are, they are the goats of scholastic journalism. <laughs> and they're, and they're, they're the ones who saw me at a, at a convention and say, get involved. Uh, and I, and at that time I was so hesitant because I didn't know who I was. They didn't know who I was, but they saw this spunky little kid who wanted to, to learn and be involved in the organization and be involved with, with, with scholastic journalism and not, but I just didn't know how. And they, they kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, and I am incredibly grateful for them. I'm incredibly grateful for what they've done for me in my career, but without them, I don't think I would be uh, where I'm at. Aside from them, I think the ACLU is incredibly fundamental in ensuring that all Americans, from students to, to adults, have free speech. And it's one of those organizations that I am incredibly, um, incredibly supportive of. All right, PJ Cabrera, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. The issue that PJ Cabrera brought up, a lack of journalism teachers of color, is similar to one that comes up in my industry, sports analytics, and across many industries across the country. Grassroots work is vital to making a dent in the numbers, and we need to be promoting success stories like PJ so that people can see that there's room in this industry for someone who looks like them. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, who ran the journalism program at my alma mater, Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey, for more than 30 years. The Journalism Salute mourns the loss of ESPN broadcaster Pedro Gomez, who died on Sunday afternoon at age 58. This one's personal. I worked with Pedro, a longtime baseball reporter, when I worked at ESPN. If you search Pedro's name on social media, you'll be overwhelmed by the number of people with stories. 
each one more amazing than the next, about what a good reporter and what a good and decent person Pedro was, and how he tried to help so many people in the sports media world. My story is a recollection of the end of the 2007 World Series won by the Red Sox in Colorado, when Pedro came back to the production truck with gifts for our Red Sox fans. Champagne corks popped during the victory celebration in the locker room. A few years later, I told him what a thoughtful gesture I thought that was. On Sunday, I was reading the tributes to Pedro. One came from a Cubs fan who met Pedro in a bar. They got to talking, and as Pedro was getting to leave, he gave her something that he felt commemorated her fanhood. A cork from a Cubs playoff clinching celebration. Nicely done, Pedro. He will be missed. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.